Today is Friday, February 16th, 2024, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Nate. All right, bad books. <laughs> I talk about um, uh, one of my neighbors who gave my kids a bunch of uh, a big bag of books to read. So I, I open it up. I'm like, hum, these are interesting. So I did a little Googling, flipped through some of the pages. They're pretty big books. Like, I mean, you'd probably have to read um, maybe a decent amount to uncover like the, the more subtle meanings in there. Because, um, I mean, you know, it's, it's quite a few pages, so it's not like it's going to be like, hey, here's everything bad about this book on page one. Uh, but, you know, it's enough to make me kind of research it, look on reviews online, um, and, you know, also read a little bit. But anyways, it's basically like kind of the inclusive agenda, which inclusion is great if it's not like shoved down your throat and inappropriate. So inclusion of everyone, uh, you know, handy capable, you know, like BIPOC, two-spirit, people of color, um, you know, wh whatever. Like you don't want to like exclude people or be mean to people and stuff like that. Um, on the other hand, when you try to force things down people's throats and not just inclusivity, but inclusivity and then attach an extra layer of agenda to that, um, I have big problems with that. So, um, anyway, so we talk about some of the books, uh, name some names. I mean, it's not exactly like the, the sex ed books they're putting into, like, kindergarten libraries and schools. Um, it's not like, not like that awful, uh, but it's very, or, or maybe it is because it's more deceitful and subtle. Um, but anyways, check out that. Uh, maybe keep your kids away from it. Someone recommends Tuttle Twins as a Christian alternative. I've never heard of it, so I'm going to look that up. I'm going to check that out. And then, um, okay, so then we get into unity of the faith. Uh, we discussed that a little bit in Ephesians 4. What does Paul mean by unity of the faith? Is that the completion of, of Scripture? Is that all the places in Paul's missionary journeys having the same doctrines? What exactly does that mean? We talk about it. Then uh, we have a special guest, Dr. Joshua Bowen, joins us uh, to talk about textual criticism, variance, um, we talk about that with uh, our, our resident historian, Chris. Um, and uh, anyway, we go back and forth and have a really good, insightful discussion about textual criticism, uh, scholarship in the Old and New Testament, uh, understanding how to get back to the Hebrew and Greek languages, uh, what are some of the best tools to use to understand that. Um, and all things considered, hey, the Bible's a solid book. Uh, you can check it and verify it if you want. And that's the conclusion you're going to come to. So if you don't want to verify everything for yourself because you just don't have enough time in your life, um, yeah, just read the Bible as it's written. It's solid. People have been checking it for thousands of years. Anyways, uh, take care, do good things, have an awesome weekend, and we will see you next week. Later. Well, I did have a public service announcement. So the books I was like rattling on about yesterday that, you know, I always have these great thoughts and then I get lost somewhere because I never actually do research um, or I never can pull it up in time. So the, the books that my neighbor gave to my, my kid to read, um, let's see. I actually looked up a bunch of uh, things about them last night. And, I mean, it's not in the same line as, like, you know, the, the sex ed books where they're showing, like, uh, you know, second and third graders and fourth graders how to, uh, you know, like, have sex and, you know, like, gay sex and how, you know, like, uh, pedophiles are good and, like, there's a guy with candy in a van. It's not like, not like the things in school boards, how everyone's, like, freaking out about that. It's, it's not like graphic in that type of way, um, like gender queer or whatever, but this is still like DEI, just woke, just like whatever. Um, so, uh, okay, let's start with Phoebe and her unicorn. So Phoebe and her unicorn. Um, it's a girl riding a magical unicorn. So, uh, so it starts with that. Uh, there's a summoning magic ritual you do to summon a unicorn. And this unicorn is, I guess, th this is like the tamest one. It's just like, just not teaching uh, young children like good respectful messages about how to be like adults and you know good teenagers and growing adults um it's just a punk unicorn 
So it's like, your mom's stupid. Tell her to shut up. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, wow. I don't think that's a message we want to reinforce. That's the tamest one. Anyways, then we go to the babysitter's club. Remember like back in the in the 90s or I don't even know if they were around in the 50s where you are in school. <laughs> but like, you know, in the, in the 90s when I was in school, um, you know, all the girls would read like the babysitter's club books. And um, I never read them. <laughs> but I remember seeing the pictures like on the cover of the books when they'd have them. And they were way different than this one. So apparently they've been, this series has been revamped. And now... I guess there's something to do with babysitting in there, but it's uh, so, so looking at the reviews and then like just reading through it a little bit myself. And a lot of these are graphic novels. So they have like pictures. So it's like kind of, I guess, comic books or, or uh, graphic novels, where the difference is, but you get the hint real quick. So, um, you know, there's like, um, I may be slightly confusing these cause there's four of them. There's the babysitters club and then there's Meg, Joe, Beth and Amy. And it is a modern retelling of little women remember the classic like you know little women all that well this is a modern retelling and then there's the tryout which is about this uh this girl from thailand who moves to uh moves to texas yeehaw and tries to like make friends and you know get on the cheerleading squad and she's bullied so the all of these other three books is just riddled with um you know it starts with like you know kids are like getting uh, alcohol and then it talks about like looking up like explicit websites like porn on the internet like it doesn't actually say porn or pornography, but it talks about like bad sex websites. Um, mommy, daddy, what's sex? Ah, you don't need to know that. You're very, very young. Um, anyways, so, and then everyone is just like, like BIPOC, Two-Spirit, like people of color everywhere, not in a way that flows, but in a way that forces it down your throat for no other reason than that. And then of course, um, you know, the people in Texas are all white oppressors. And, you know, they're making the Thailand chicks, you know, feel bad about themselves because, you know, I guess brown or whatever. Um, and then the other one, it's like uh, one of the girls, I think it's the Little Women or the Babysitter's Club. One, one of the kids comes out as a lesbian. And then one of the others has like, you know, two mommies. Um, so anyway, it's just like a bunch of like just bull crap. Um, that's kind of what I was saying yesterday about like the boxcar children. Like um, we were at the library and uh, – and I was looking, I'm like, well, hey, what, what are some kids' books I read? I'm like, I remember the Boxcar Children. You know, they were written like the 60s. Um, and I'm like, they were like decent, wholesome stories. Like, fine, whatever. I was just trying to get my kids interested in reading. So the ones at the library, though, it was the same trash as this. Like, it was a modern revamping, like a reboot of the Boxcar Children. I'm like, wait, this isn't the Boxcar Children I read. <laughs> so we um, uh, we came home and I found the actual boxcar children, the originals online. So my kids read some of that. They were bored, bored with it. And they're like, this isn't that good. It's just boring. Like nothing ever happens. I'm like, okay, fine. So Chris, um, I would like your take on all that. I, I mean, it, it sucks. It's bad. It's indoctrinating our kids. But if anyone has some actual like Christian literature for like, uh, you know, young preteen girls um, that doesn't indoctrinate them, that would be great. Total so uh, there you go. Total Wait, twins. I need to make notes. Total twins. I need to make notes. Okay, total twins. Twin. Total twins. Todd, you have kids, right? Or a kid? Sorry, I got a very important phone call from Miley from Healthcare Benefits. Oh, did you share the gospel with Miley? Miley was a robot. I don't think Miley has a soul. <laughs> um, so total twins, like total recall, but total twins. No, Tuttle, T-U-T-T-L-E. T-U-T-T-L-E. What's, is that a series or just like a standalone yeah. book? It's a whole a bunch of books. 
Okay, what's uh, what what's the gist of it? Is it like adventures or like Christian stuff or it's Christian stuff that's just like good wholesome patriotic, you know, yay America, boo everybody else. Oh, okay. What uh, what age would this be suited for? Now that I don't know. I've just seen a lot of ads on the websites I read. Nah. You know, that's one unfortunate thing. Like a lot of the trash that people want to indoctrinate you with is like free or like very, very, very cheap. Um, if it's anything like, you know, like good Christian, like solid Christian literature or, or books or movies, anything like if it's in the like what we would consider proper Christian spectrum, not like he gets us stuff, but like the, the what we consider is biblically adherent and accurate Christian stuff, media, books, films, whatever is very expensive. And same thing with patriotic stuff. Like if, if you want to like, you know, like real like American patriotic, red blooded, that type stuff, everything they sell is so expensive. And on one hand, it's like, well, you expect to pay a little bit of a premium because, you know, it's a smaller audience. So, I mean, they have, they have, it's not as mainstream. They have to make it a little bit more expensive to be viable. But on the other hand, it seems like it's extremely more expensive than you would think, even with like your, your factored in kind of premium price. And I'm like, well, are they just like gouging? So uh, really I see it with the patriotic stuff. So it's like, I know everything costs more if it's like American made and, you know, promoted and it's like this, this smaller audience. But man, it seems like it could be like triple the price sometimes. Um, the total twin books are ten bucks a piece. Okay, did you just look that up? Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Chris. And it's unfortunate that I, I I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that public libraries probably won't have that. So yeah, we, we yeah, but you to... know you can request books from public libraries, right? And they'll, they'll I, put them I, in. I, I, I know you can. I wondered if if that's just like, oh yeah, we'll take this suggestion. We'll, we may or may not get around to it sometime. No, or like, don't worry. Oh, oh, like definitely, like yes, good citizen. We will get that right away. <clears throat> really? Yeah. yeah. Ah, all right. Well, we'll see how my library does. If if they don't have them, yeah. then I. I Here in that, Orange I, County, Florida, you just go to the library, you fill out a little form of the book you want, you find out. I the am ISBN not in number. Orange County, or maybe maybe since I'm not, I should just let people think that. No, I'm just but letting I'm, you. Know, I'm just letting you know in my county. I know you're not oh, in my your county. county. Like, oh, you don't. Care. In I'm my county, in Orange County, um, you just fill out this little form. Like I've gotten theology books out. Like like if they're really 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 huh. expensive theology books, I'll just <laughs> I'll have the library buy them and then I'll just check them out. Wow, that's awesome! I figured that'd be like metrics too. Like if you if you wanted to request something that didn't fit there, um, if you're like, no, 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 like like that says Jesus is the only way. Oh, we can't order that. That violates our terms of conditions or whatever. For example, I don't know. But yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll do that. Total twins, got it. Yeah, you can hoist them by their own petard with that because like because it's a public library, they have to take all viewpoints. I just hope the Tuttle Twins isn't like, you're like, yes, it's for my child. Like, he read it when he was five, and it's like, <laughs> it's like the most complex vocabulary ever because you have like a little super genius. And my kids are just like drooling out the side of their mouths. No, dude, my <laughs> friend Richard has the super genius kids. Let me tell you something. Um, his 11 year old is in college. Just grok that for a second. He's in his second year of college. Huh. So he's like young Sheldon or whatever. Yeah, he's like, like this kid is like, he sits and does like integrals, like calculus for fun. 
Like this kid is, there's something weird about this kid. And it's, and Richard's a restaurant manager and his wife is like a therapist, but it's not like they're like both like, you know, Nobel laureates or anything. They're just like have these strangely intelligent children. And the other one's super artistic and the other one is painting portraits and he's like six, like full on human. Like she was showing me some pictures and they look like something that a college student would draw in a studio class. It was nuts. I was like, <laughs> what? So like, yeah. If you ever think your kid is smart, there is always a smarter kid out there. <laughs> huh. Let's see. Um, was there another topic brought up before the book thing? Or am I imagining stuff? No, Random brings up a pretty good point. Like, teaching children into Christianity is indoctrination. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's literally where the word comes from is teaching doctrine, right? Indoctrination. Indoctrination is morally neutral. He's totally correct about that. Sharp dude. Um, he's 100% correct. Oh, see you. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, it, it's, it's, culture right because words and meanings change so you know when when the conservative people talk about indoctrination obviously we're talking about indoctrination as counter to what we see productive or good so so i mean i think most people can get that right but i mean you know if you want to be technical well yes so someone is going to indoctrinate your kids it's going to happen so someone will be indoctrinating them it's just who do you want it to be and even people that are like, no, I'm not going to indoctrinate my kids. I'm going to let them be a squishmallow and have an open brain leaking like a sieve. And, and when they get old enough, I'll let them make their own decision about everything, maybe crossing the road without looking, or I'll let them make their decision. Um, but that is so naive, because if you try to take that approach, they're getting indoctrinated by someone. So who better than the parents who actually are responsible for that kid and their upbringing and well-bringing? So indoctrination is a fact. It's going to happen. It's just who do you want to do the indoctrinating? So do I want to just be like, no, no, let them have an open mind. And, and what that really means is like their friends or other families or the public school system or anyone other than me is going to have the handle in indoctrinating and training and raising my kid. Heck no. So I'm going to do it, you know, my way with my charge as the responsible adult raising and guiding my kids, uh, just like hopefully most of us would. Uh, well, hopefully all of us would, but you know, realistically most of us will um all right so this is your opportunity nate here we go right now to be a really oh, great right. really great dad okay you want to be a really great dad right yes i do chris all right here is <laughs> here is a really great way to be a really great dad nate download on your phone they even have it for android even for the unwashed masses um, the New City Catechism for Children. Oh, Lord. Okay. I'm just and start catechizing your kids. Dude. And then you're going to be like, wow, these kids are so smart. Like, they know stuff about God that, like, most Christians don't. Because, it's like, not... you'll be the only one in your church catechizing your girls. And then your girls are going to be all, like, girl bosses with, like, and then boys are going to come at them when they're teenagers and they're going to be like, so what is the whole duty of man? And then the kid, the boy is going to be like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I've never been catechized. And your girls are going to be like, whatevs later. See, see how that works, dude. Uh, it's, it's, if we, 
we teach these same things. We just don't use like weird quasi Catholic language, like catechisms. Do you call communion Eucharist too? No. Okay. <laughs> but listen, listen. Catechize just means. Wait, new, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look this up. Whether or not, whether or not I teach him. Uh, okay, New City cate Catechism. Yeah. It's just a modern language version. As much as I despise Tim <laughs> Keller, like his his catechism is a pretty his catechism translation is good. And that's what this is. <clears throat> yeah. They're up, very CEO, short you're going to be an amazing and dad and catechize your kid. Oh yeah, all about that catechize life. Um, Listen, I, I've got, you have kids. Uh, whenever you're Nate, ready, Nate, I got a five point discussion with Chris based on the apostle prophet conversation yesterday. Um. Okay. Wait. Do, do you have kids or not? Or not yet? Yes. You I seem young kids. to me. Yes. Like, how many do you got? If you don't mind me asking. I just have one 11 year old son. Oh. Wait, are you? No, you, you're you not my this. age. We had the whole conversation about how he was, he was, his friends were messing with him at school, being not very good friends. You were here for that, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if I was here for that. I would remember that. Anyway, so, yes. No, he is at the perfect age. Like, download the New City Catechism, man. It is really good. And you just start asking this kid questions, and you give them the answers, and they memorize them. And then, like, so, like, at some churches, like, rando adults that are members in the church will walk up to the children and they will ask them one of the 200 questions. And then the children have to be able to answer. It's rad. I know it sounds like Hebrew Israelite cult indoctrination. <laughs> Thanks for that, Chris, because I did just download it. I looked through it very briefly and it looks pretty good. Is it like a thousand pages long? Is this one of the things where Chris is like, it's three paragraphs. And by paragraphs, he means like 3,000 words. Or lines? I mean, 200 questions is a lot, but it Good seems Lord. to be, the app seems to be laid out pretty simply. So. Wait, so it's, it's, it's an app, so like I could put it on their phone and be like, uh, I mean, could I, so it's, it's just Q&A, right? Like short questions, short answers, so like, yep. yes. Yep. So instead That's of like a video one. game, I'll be like, hey, spend 15 minutes doing this app, and they just yeah. like go through it and read it. So I open the first one, and it says, question one, what is our only hope in life and death? And then you get to reveal the answer just by clicking on show answer. But, you know, obviously you're going to guess what it is, and then you're going to see that you're right or not. And then you go on to number two, number three, yeah, it's pretty cool. And it's got in sections, part one, God, creation, fall, law, part two, Christ, redemption, grace, part three, spirit, restoration, and growing in grace. Pretty cool. Okay, okay, Chris, before I'm prepared to say this may be one of the most helpful parenting tools um, you've, you've given and one of the greatest contributions you've made, um, I have a few follow-up questions. If they do this, is this, is, this what, is this what something like Malak would say is by the time he's read all 200 questions and answers, like, yeah, this is biblical, this is accurate. Or would it be something like, um, you're just creating a bunch of little Calvinists? Is this it's pretty, it's pretty general. I don't remember if it gets into the doctrines of grace, to be honest with you. I, that's not my intention. Like, it's super general. I mean, like, <laughs> what is the, you know, what's the whole duty of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever? I mean, like, it's like that kind of basic, you know, like, it's not going to be like, <laughs> and lo, didst the Lord did decree all of your actions as a 
holy robot moving toward your ultimate destination. Does it like, say Calvin? Like can you do a word search, Todd, and see if it says Calvin in there any? <laughs> like, no, does this stay no with Calvin? Like, like, Calvin like, do all catechisms, like even Catholic stuff, like stay within the confines of the actual Bible, or does it get into like traditions and stuff that's not in the Bible? Well, the Catholic catechism. So yeah, I'm just Catholic starting with the words and then working my way thing. back. Right. So the Catholic catechism is a different thing, right? It is like a full doctrinal statement. It's not meant to be memorized, right? It's it's thousands of pages long, right? So. Like, I mean, some people will claim that you can memorize the Catholic Catechism, but it's really long. Yeah, they shouldn't memorize um, the Bible instead. You're right, exactly. It's like, why don't you just read the Bible, dummies? So this is just designed to be extremely short and be one-sentence answers. So you're not going to be getting, like, you know, the doctrine of regeneration fully fleshed out in the Calvinist manner in a catechism. It's just not going to be possible. Does it get um, Does it get into like uh, you know predestination or any of that stuff that you may not say has anything to do with Calvinism, but but um, it, it would be like from the Bible, like you know John six or John three, um, or or would it? Uh, d does it? Um, you know, know what I'm trying Todd, to what say. Is the, yeah, I know what you're trying to say, Todd. What is the um, What is the table of contents tell us? Does it get into predestination and election at all? I don't think it does. For two hundred questions, I mean, it's pretty robust. I'll just, I'll just have to download this self. Let me make sure I got this right. Okay. Just New City Catechism. That's it. And it's a free app on the App Store. Uh-huh. All right. I will check that out. Check it out, man. Oh, man. Brandon I, think that, up, I... Uh, I think CEO wants to wants to go at his uh, five-point, uh, you know, interrogation here soon. Brandon, I just saw you. Uh, you said something about sowing a seed for ninety nine ninety nine. There's also it was an early comment. Chris said, "You said like we should just sow a seed for ninety nine ninety nine for your children's future." And that's You're very mumbly. I, we can't hear you. I, I, it's very garbage. What about now? That's better. Oh yeah, I was. Were you sleeping? Uh, Were you laying down? Yeah, yeah. I had a night thing at Amazon. I had a, had a workout. Uh, <laughs> I, I was like, yeah, I was like, uh, it was a comment Chris said earlier. I said, yeah, you should just sow a seed of ninety nine ninety nine, and uh, that'll get it worked out. Uh, but I think the I think the conversation went past the context of the joke. Brandon, do you listen to those hallway chats ever? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> Another way to ask that is, Brandon, do you have a life? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So have you found the one that Rodney put out that was like, um, Calvinist, tell me about the pea and tulip or whatever, and Charles Johnson is in there? No, I can't say I've listened to that one. No, it's so funny, bro. Like, at some point, I tell Charles that he needs to figure out a pro wrestling name and come into the game. I was like, you could be the oneness nader or something. <laughs> that. Oh, he, my, the syndicate, he has that syndicated voice. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, dude, I've been lighting up those hallway chats lately. It's been fun. Yeah, they're, they're funny. Sometimes, like, I see the titles on the hallway chats, but 
I like I'm sometimes I'm like, yeah, I don't. Uh, if I get time, I may listen to a room, but now nah, I think I've listened to one or few, but not many. You know, you can skip through whole school. Like a lot of them, all of a sudden, scent will come in and just start talking with some other crazy person. And that'll be like three quarters of that chat. And if you just skip through all the scent and crazy person, then it's pretty succinct. Yeah. Sometimes I, I, I like seeing it as a person. But sometimes good morning, everyone. I let, let, let y'all know the procedure went good. I'm, I'm talking. They stretched my they stretched my esophagus. I, I did have a small hernia. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that. Well, glad you're... Oh, we didn't even know you were going into surgery, man. Did you tell everybody? Glad you're well. Yeah. I'm good. I'm good. They just brought me back up to my room. Oh, you're in the hospital now. Yeah. Hey, just stay there forever because your audio sounds great. <laughs> Y'all got jokes this morning. <laughs> like, I need something right. else. Like, I need something, like, send me to a colonoscopy. I just had one of them done four years ago. Mm -mm. It got another year before that happened. Mm. I got too many jokes. Um, well, I have a political point, but I'd love to talk about religion first because uh, my brother hates it when I talk about politics. All right, you want me to jump in? Sure. Okay, and when we run out of religion? Yeah, okay. All right, cool. So, open. All right, so I, I have five points. I'm going to go one by one. And the first point, Chris, is an agreement point. So after kind of like researching this fervor, I'm in agreement with you that given the historical context and emphasis of the foundational role of the apostle and prophet in the early church, coupled with the completion of canon of scripture, it seems pretty rational that their primary purpose was fulfilled in the establishment of an early Christian community. Okay. The, okay. Oh, go ahead, Chris. Okay, my first point of feet Sounds pushed good, back. I also don't want to upset uh, Sean when he's in the hospital either. Okay, no, so my, my first point of, of pushback is it seems to me to be irrational to argue unity of the faith occurred before we had a comprehensive approved Bible, because there was not any one thing every Christian had access to before that occurred. So I'd like to get your feedback on that. Well, before what occurred? Like, are we before we had the actual complete Bible. I mean, we had the actual complete Bible when it finished coming off of the pen of the Apostle John. But not everyone had access to it. I mean, from the point people had access to it. So I mean, if that's the when standard, it was put then there's no complete Bibles anywhere because there's millions of people who've never even seen a Bible. They don't have access to it. That doesn't mean and the Bible's not complete. And, uh, so right. since, since, since 325 A.D., there's been a completed book, though, right? Maybe before that, if I'm date wrong, but no, that, that from that time. Nah, no, man, like there, there's been there's been canons running around out there. They didn't even codify the canon until the Council of Trent in 1541. Like, okay. there was what did they have produced at 325 AD? 
nothing because that was not a council about the canon. That was about uh, Arianism. So Nicaea didn't deal with the scripture at all, like okay. in terms well, of the canonization of the scripture. That happened right. in Carthage and in Rome. So the Council of Carthage, the Council of Hippo, Council of Rome, those three had to do with canon. Um, and then they, that's where they declared canonical and deuterocanonical. But like the way the canonization the works is that... Well, it could have been a Council of Rhino. Um, declared by anybody. This is a Roman Catholic fa fallacy. Um, the, the scripture was discovered. So, you know, when we talk about, like, what is canon, what isn't canon, you know, Justin Martyr had a, had a canon list, and his canon list only excluded, I think, Jude and Second Peter. So, you know, you're talking, that's, well, me, that's first generation me, after the apostles, right? So, I mean... Definition. Since when has the Bible, as we see it today about current order in the New Testament, when did that first appear? Chris. Stand by a second. I'm dealing with something. Okay. Is that something that we have the quick ability to Google, or is that a little more intense? Do you have the answer to that, Nate? No, but I mean, it seems like Google showed like, you know, the, the like very specific, right? Like the, the Bible as we have it today, like the 66 Protestant version um, um, in the correct in the current order. Like that, that seems very specific. Like I, I, just while we're waiting on Chris, like, I mean, obviously that would probably be very, very, very late. I would think. I don't know. Because I mean, I, I, as far as I know, like I'm, I'm just going to guess and, and ask if my answer is correct. It would be like 1611. Um, the very first edition after, like the 1611 KJV that had the Apocrypha, I would have to say it's the very first edition of the KJV that did not have the Apocrypha. So whenever that was, if it was like 1612, 1613, like I, I don't know, but I know like the very first edition of the 1611 KJV had the Apocrypha. So my answer is going to be whatever the first edition of the KJV that did not have the Apocrypha would be the date. Um, but, uh, whenever Chris talks about the scripture, like, you know, we've had the, the, what would eventually become to be the Bible as we know it since like the first century, since like, you know, before, like, like I would say 90 AD would be the latest, like, you know, we've had all the Torah up to revelation, all the epistles, all the new testaments, um, I believe it would be before, maybe well before 90 AD. Um, so just the fact that they weren't compiled and in a book yet, um, I would say that's inconsequential because like Chris said yesterday, when John put his pen down at Revelation, boom, done. We've got the completed work. Um, yeah, I mean, but unity means that everyone has access to the same thing, right? I, so, I think that's so, the definition so. of terms. Wait, wait, wait. That's, that's the definition of terms right there. So when you said unity under what you said, absolutely. But I think what Chris says and where I kind of agree for this argument, we're, we're not talking about you, what you mean by unity. We're talking about like unity, unity of the scripture, unity under God, like unity of revelation. So not in an individual, everyone has to ac have access to it, but in like a universal, like it is there in the world, like the planet, uh, in the planet, it is there prevalent in the planet in its completed form, unity in that sense, um, not in the sense you mean. So if we mean in the sense you mean, yes, you're completely right. But uh, Chris and, and I uh, don't mean unity in the, the same way you mean it. 
I think that's the difference, that disconnect. Yes, that is excellent, Nate. Thank you, 100% Chris. CEO. Would you agree with that, CEO, the way we, the way we said it? Because we can agree with the way you said it, but the way you said it is not what we mean. So do you now no, no, understand so and agree I, the way we I, said it? I agree with both. What I'm trying to get to, though, is which way does the Bible mean it, though, right? Because that seems to be the trickier thing. Because, like, there's multiple definitions of what unity of the faith means. So, Right. So, so um, what is the specific passage that we're talking about? Let's just exegete that in context. Jesus. Um, verse one second. Uh, I think, was it random unmuted at some point? Yeah, go ahead, CEO. Uh, then we'll get random. Four, thirteen, fourteen. Wait, so repeat. Until that again, we all reach unity in the faith. Right. Wait. Repeat the. I didn't get the address. Can you repeat uh, it again? Sorry. Uh, Ephesians four, thirteen, and fourteen. I didn't have anything significant to say, Nate. I was just going to uh, ask you if you felt comfortable agreeing so much with Chris. It is awkward. It's very, very unsettling. <laughs> it's disconcerting. Yes. Um, yeah. Hey, hey, okay. he's right. He's so, right. Okay, so <laughs> let's let's look at. Uh, I'm driving still, so I can't really read it. But like, okay, so he gave him, and he gave. Uh, Sorry, And he himself gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain unity of the faith and the full knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ." so that we are no longer children tossed here and there by waves carried waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of man by craftiness in deceitful scheming but speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in all aspects in him who is the head that is Christ from whom the whole body being joined and held together by what every joint, sorry, I gotta make a turn here, supplies according to the property, properly measured working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And so attaining the unity of the faith is talking about unity in doctrine. Um, and sound doctrine, and that had already been achieved at that point, because you have the apostles, um, even without a complete canon of scripture, there were the New Testament prophets that were laying out revelation during that time when the canon had not been completed. Um, you had the apostles' teachings. So this, so what this is saying is that basically there are all these teaching offices. Um, starting with the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and what Ephesians 4 is saying is that for the, the proper working of the body of Christ, there must be right and sound doctrine based on the word of God. Even without a completed canon, this was still completely true. This was not, not a future thing. 
It was saying that these things will be attained. And then in the fullness of Christ as a reference to glorification. Because remember, when Paul is writing, he is always looking forward to the day of glorification. That's what he wrote about in Romans 7 and 8. And, and what was so important to him is that his present sufferings, remember he's suffering all the time. His present sufferings are nothing in light of glory that he will attain. And so, you know, when we're talking about this stuff, he's talking about the true doctrine of the, the apostles, the deposit of faith of the apostles. And that was done in 62 AD. You know, like, like that full deposit of faith, you know, in terms of like what the gospel is and, and you know, the major teachings of the apostles outside of the book of Revelation, that stuff was pretty much done by like 62, 64 AD. So uh, I'm going to reserve the right to revisit this another day. I want to get to the, the next point. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, we can do a full exegesis of, of Ephesians 4. I think it'd be super fun. But it would take like a good hour, right? Yeah, no, that's fine. I'd be up for that one day. Um, all right, so the next one is, the. it seems to me like the office of the apostle and the prophet should continue to exist with a modified purpose because it's important to acknowledge the historical role of the office, um, and it may not fit its original role in, in the, the, with the same applicability, um, but it really can help us understand the power of what the office was and provide modern insights that can help and edify the church today. So I wanted your feedback on that. Well, I, I think I said yesterday as well, like, I don't have a problem with traditional titles being used like Apostle Sean. I have no problem with Apostle Sean's title because Apostle Sean is not fancying himself as a new Peter or Paul, right? We've had this conversation. He's like, no, I'm a messenger. Like just means messenger. He's like establishing churches, you know, things like that. Like, obviously I don't have a problem with the wording, right? Um, I don't think that anybody, and maybe Sean, I know Sean is laid up right now, so it's probably not fair to ask him, but I don't think anybody thinks that the, like, the 13 foundations in <laughs> in the New Jerusalem are going to have, like, you know, whatever, a, Apostle Catherine Crick. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, just, it's a different thing. Like, and if you want to argue that we can have a different office, and if you want to say it's that prophets are people that are forth-telling and just being you know, like just speaking truth to people that are in power. I mean, cl you can classify me as a prophet, knock yourself out, but I'm not going to be saying thus says the Holy Spirit, like Agabus, right? Like I'm yeah. not going to be saying thus says the Lord, like Isaiah. So I think we agree on one in three, and I'm going to move to four quickly. I only got two points left, Nate. Um, the fourth one is, um, sometimes what we deem as miracles do still occur for apostle or prophet. However, they just happen to be the vehicle God uses because God can use whatever mechanism in the church God wants. It doesn't make them special because of her title. So I wanted feedback on that. Sure. So my understanding of spiritual gifts in, in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is that they are not bestowed once upon an Mm -hmm. um, at the moment of salvation. That is the current, yeah. like, Western belief, okay? So, like, I am going to depart from 95% of evangelical Christians on this one, okay? 
my reading of the text tells me that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are gifts given not to individuals, but to churches. And so the way I interpret that is that, say, a gift of healing is not given to, you know, CEO, where he has this gift of healing and can go clear out the, the children's hospital. No, it is that, you know, the gift of healing is given to, like, CEO has got, I don't know, hair cancer, and, you know, somebody, he goes to the elders of the church, they lay hands on him, and he is healed of his hair cancer, you know, and that's a gift to the church because it encourages the saints. Do you see where I'm going with that? So the the people, the elders of the church, were the conduit through which God worked, and that's fine, but it's not as if they were given this gift of healing that they then passed on to you. It's that the gift of healing itself is the gift that the Holy Spirit gives to the church. Does that make sense? There may be there may be a middle ground here in the sense that people who think of themselves as apostles or prophets may be more sensitive and a stronger vehicle so that when God does give the gift to the church, it may end up flowing through them. I mean... Maybe. I, I don't see any scriptural basis for that. I mean, like, we could, well, I mean, I guess you could say, like, the prayer of a righteous man avails, avails much. Yeah. You know, like, you could yeah. probably go there um, to instantiate that. So I'm going to say maybe, you know, okay. I, you know, sure. All right, final point. Um, I wonder if you might consider your, you might be too hard on some people who have the the more extreme belief, because I think the reason they have it is we're interpreting unity of a faith not occurring until Christ returns. In fact, I know that's the reason why some people have it, because I read a book yesterday about someone who literally said that. And so while I don't believe that, right, and you don't believe that, is it such a ridiculous belief that it deserves a level of skepticism you give it? I mean, not based on, you know, one poor exegesis of a passage. No. Like, I'm not going to ridicule somebody over, like, a poor exegesis. I do poor exegesis all the time. Like, that's part of the challenge of, of doing proper exegesis is you're wrong more often than you're right, right? So I'm not going to impugn somebody on that level. My problem is, is that you have people that are shipwrecking the faith of people by running around and saying, like, you know, oh, the reason you didn't get healed is because you lack faith or you know all the all the other shenanigans that the the nar does right and sean and i have talked about this about the excesses of the nar and you know and and, and you know just the terrible things that go on there you know or the fact that like you know people you know in the nar that we know are like horrifically immoral that are still claiming these like miraculous gifts moving through them like it just doesn't make it like Todd Bentley who literally raped women and it's been proven like is that the guy with the I dreads mean, no, that's, no that's Todd White that's Todd White um, Todd White used to be a hockey player um, Todd Bentley <laughs> is the dude with the super long red beard and he goes around and he like I mean he is horrendous and even Michael Brown, who is, like, really easy on these guys and really easy on the NAR, like, even Michael Brown is like, yeah, Todd Bentley's terrible. So, I mean, dude, if Michael Brown is telling you you're terrible, you need to check yourself. 
So, um, anyway. All right, so, CEO. Yeah, I mean, does that make sense, CEO? Yeah. Like, I just have a problem with all the other stuff surrounding it. And, and also, I have a problem with people <clears> saying, thus saith the Lord. And then they're wrong. So, like, all of the people. So, here's a perfect example. I'll give you a perfect example that you can choose. And then we shall move on. All, yeah, all of the peeps that were running around talking about how Trump was going to actually win the 2020 election. He was going to pull it out of the fire. And, you know, they were going to come back and they were going to, like, reinstate him as president. And there's literally, you can go to a YouTube channel and watch hundreds of these so-called prophets doing this. Well... Do we get to stone all of them to death now? Because, um, you know, they were wrong. Like, well, no, we don't have that hey, here. But, like, that's the point. Quick question for Chris and then uh, CEO. Uh, Chris, so you said, thus saith the Lord, and then they're wrong. Um, if they said, thus saith the Lord, about, like, five different things, and they were right every single time, would you be like, ah, well, they were right? Or would you be like, no, no, it doesn't matter that they happen to be right. It's a coincidence. They are still wrong for saying, the, thus saith the Lord. Even if they happen to be right, would you would you say that, or would you be like, well, they're right, they're right? So on the one hand, you know, if somebody is infallibly saying like literally crazy stuff that nobody else can say, and they get it right a hundred percent of the time, it's going to give me pause. Of course, I'm going to be like, dang, okay. all right. And but like, also, I know that the <laughs> canon is closed. Like God is not giving us new revelation. So if they come back and they're like, hey, by the way, you know. I, I found these plates in the forest, and I looked in my hat, and oh, by the way, there's a whole other testament of Jesus in the new the new world. And, you know, here's North American Jesus. Like, no, I'm not going to believe that guy. Or, or, okay, so what? What about the discrepancy? Um, okay, so you say you say like prophecy means you know canon's closed that need to be added to canon, and if they say it's a it's a true prophecy, then it needs to be added to canon. But if someone says, oh, no, I don't think prophecy means that, like when I say I have the gift of prophecy, I'm not a prophet, but God is giving me knowledge, not that, not that it needs to be like written down. But, for example, um, you know, there may be a guy at my church and I say, hey, I, I prophesy to you or whatever, like you need to go to this remote village and there will be a man there wearing a red cape. Uh, you need to give him the gospel. And through that, um, you know, thousands of people will be saved. The guy's like, OK, sure, follows it through, goes to this little camp village in the middle of nowhere. Meets a guy in a red cape, tells him the gospel, his whole village and thousands of people get saved. And he's like, see, that's the type of prophecy I mean. Like, that that totally was a revelation from God, but it doesn't need to be canon because, you know, everyone in the world doesn't need to know that. It was just for that guy. Um, so what would you even say with that? Like, it's an interesting coincidence? Or because they're like, so, well, bro, canon's closed. He's like, no, it doesn't need to be canon. Well, so Would yeah, you call so that something response... other than prophecy? Yes. Well, my response to that would be, A, that person's lying, like they didn't hear from the Holy Spirit to tell them that, but, but B, you know, my, or maybe not lying, that's a little harsh, but like deceived that they think that the Holy Spirit is telling them stuff. God doesn't whisper that, that remember that book I talked about for a year? Um, you know, there's no, there, there's no misinterpreting or getting it wrong, and so... What I would say is that the person who is giving personal revelations, well, what is the standard? Like, is it right 100% of the time? And there is literally no one in a Pentecostal circle who is going to tell you that they have found an infallible prophet. The cope is going to be, so like Wayne Grudem is a theologian, and his cope is going to be that Agabus was incorrect. And so God changed the standard from the Old Testament to the New Testament for the accuracy of prophecy. That's what they that's the actual doctrine. 
And we can argue about that. I think that's okay. Oh, no, I don't care about arguing it. Um, CEO, my question to you is completely off base. I just, I, I never get to talk to you except here. Um, I just wanted to see if, like, uh, uh, you know, I sent you the manuscript a long time ago based on your advice. Like, was that received and everything? Like, all the little wheels are turning? That's all I need. I don't need to belabor it. Oh, for the book? Yes. Yeah, we're, yeah, I have that on in schedule to get going on next week. Yes. Oh, awesome. I just didn't want you to be like, what email? Because <laughs> I don't remember a follow-up, but I never get to talk to you except here. Um, yeah. And let's see. Uh, Random made his comment about Chris. Uh, guess, you were next. What's up, Guess? And thank you, see you. Uh, guess, are you speaking? If you don't speak, Darth Michael is next. Darth Michael, what's up? Morning, morning. So I gotta, morning. I gotta take, I gotta take issue with Chris right away. Chris, what exactly is so problematic about the story where Jews travel by boat? to North America in 600 BC. What exactly is the problem with that? <laughs> I'm being facetious, of course. Um, and, and also... Like, oh, I mean Mars, nothing. That totally happened, Michael. Come on. Yeah, they wrote with Ivan. It wasn't with a it. They wrote with Ivan. And um, Charles Taz Russell and, and uh, James Rutherford, uh, founders of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, have, have declared the you know the end of this system of things many times and they've just gotten the dates a little bit mixed up like there's is there really a big problem with this um so the the, the issue is is that when you when you start putting um there's there's something called a, a, a written by a guy named uh forgetting his name now uh john loftus <clears throat> it's called the outsider test for faith and he wrote a whole book on this stuff. And it's really written. This is a, he was a former evangelical um, turned uh, heathen. And it's really interesting because what you, what you should be doing is you should put everything that you put there, obviously, like because Jews to North America, 600 BC, of course, that's ridiculous. But so are the stories in the Bible. So what you do is you, is you put you put them all under the same interpretive lens or you try to put them all under the same interpretive lens and you end up coming up with, and I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that I'm necessarily right, but what I'm saying is, is that evidently you come up with the same conclusions that all of these people talk about stuff that they don't have any actual information about I mean, how many times did the, who's that other guy who finally just died, who predicted the end of the world, like a whole bunch of times and people just like flocked to him and sold all their, all their stuff and everything. And it just, it happens all, it happens all the time. And the only difference is, is that the, the, the 66 book canon got closed a long time ago. Otherwise people would be adding to this stuff. I've talked to people lots that, that, that claim this relevatory epistemology and I'm not just talking about the, the Vantillian precept uh, form, but these people who, who say that they hear that still small voice and that God speaks to them. And I, I look at it all under the same light, and I think it's all a load of nonsense. Well, keep in mind, this is the opinion of one man. But uh, yes, noted. What do you guys mean that like the canon... Is like set in stone or whatever, like where we get um, 
like there's always there's constantly being like updates and we're finding like new manuscripts in like some cave somewhere and like adding things subtracting things so like what is like what is the set canon and they're like well, according but, to who yeah and I, I would say that's the thing we're really not i mean you know since like the dead sea scrolls i mean and, and those pretty much just confirmed what we've already known like th there's i mean some of what you say is true but i i mean i don't think it's it's nearly pronounced as you make it um I, like i don't think any bibles have changed um because of any of this so so close canon means basically uh, like in the bible where it talks about like you know basically we believe revelation is the last book and you know there's a whole thing in there about hey don't take away from this book or you know blessings will be withheld don't add to this book or you know um uh, punishments and stuff like bad stuff will be added to you like basically it's done leave it alone you have the whole scripture so stop it <laughs> that's what that means so then when people do exactly the opposite of what that says and then they specifically add to or take away that's why we call people who do those things like cults like mormons are like you know and, and uh, you know even then uh, uh paul he says look even if i myself or an angel from heaven come down and preach to you a different gospel than the one you've received, the one, you know, the one in the New Testament, um, in, in all of Paul's letters to the, the Ephesians, the Corinthians, and all that, a different gospel than the one that's in the Bible, let that person be accursed. And then you have people doing exactly that. Um, so Mormons are like, hey, hey, here's another testament of Jesus. It's like, did you not even read the Bible? Like, if you're trying to make a different religion or something, at least be a little more sneaky than that, because you're specifically doing but it says do not do. Anyway, that's what we mean by closed canon. Um, so the Bible as we know it, that's it. No more, no less, just that. I guess it um it's tough because like what so what is that? So like the the Bible, like um like textual scholars have estimated that there's like thirty thousand changes in the Bible between the Greek and the revised edition. Um so like which one of those are those all those changes to the original canon? So like we had a canon before and then they got 30,000 changes between the Greek and the revised edition. So like are all those changes the original canon or why not go back to like some other canon? Like how do you actually know which changes are right and which ones are wrong? And well, it, it's all the same. Clear. It's like it, oh go ahead, Chris. Yeah, there, let's be real clear. There are no changes. What we have are textual variants. Um, and so we have families of manuscripts. Textual criticism is a science. It's, a, it's an art and a science. And so we actually have closer to what the apostles wrote. Like, we don't care what whatever thing says. We want to know what came out of the pen of the apostle who wrote it. And today, using computers and the technology that we have, and all of the scans of all of the, the literally tens of thousands of Greek manuscripts that we have, um, we are closer today to know exactly what came out of the pen of the apostle uh, than we were even 50 years ago. Now, that being said, even the stuff 50 years ago, the textual variants that we're talking about are like, oh, did they did they put a did they put an extra a on the end of that letter in the Greek, you know, or an extra alpha, or is that an extra? You know, like there's like little there's little copyist mistakes, and that's like 95 percent of the textual variants. The, the content of every single doctrine in the Christian faith has not been affected by a single textual variant ever in the history of the church. And so to say that things have changed and what's right and how do we know, it's simply not accurate. It's people trying to impugn the 
veracity of the text by trying to point out all of these quote-unquote errors. And they're not errors, they're simply textual variants. And so we can take seven manuscripts with textual variants in two and have pretty high confidence that we're going to know exactly what came out of the pen of that apostle. And when we take that on the aggregate, um, again, something like the, the Legacy Standard Bible, which is what I use, is far more accurate than even the King James, um, because they had worse manuscripts to work with. And that being said, Chris would also do perfectly fine with the King James if that was the only Bible. Like, the content, like, right. it's going to give you the same gospel, the same Jesus, the same everything. Um, it just may be a little more grammatically sound or easier on the eyes or whatever. But there is no, like, nothing to do with, like, doctrines or anything like that. Same exact thing. So even though, you know, I prefer, I, I grew up reading the King James, um, and I got away from that just as soon as I discovered er other translations. Um, so, I mean, the King James is fine for its content. Um, it's just a lot more difficult for me to read the way it's written. But the same exact Sure. Content. Like, I appreciate sense. what you guys are saying, but if I could just add a, my two cents here. Uh, so I think there's maybe another line we could go down, which is, is very similar here is um, if I could paint this picture, there's so it's it's definitely it's like widely agreed among scholars and probably most Christians who have looked into it, that there literally is no original copy. And so we have to um, we're making these differences in the Greek and the uh, the revised edition off of copies of copies like there's no original and so I just think it, it makes a case more that um, is it true that like a perfect God who made the universe somehow like fumbled and like couldn't even get the right copy the original copy to humans or is it like maybe it's just like a man-made book where people were fumbling around with these different copies and they lost them and somebody threw it away and then they had to make like a new one so we don't even have the original copy so how do you know what's canon if we don't have the original at all well you don't need the autograph They're, those are in textual criticism those are called the autographs okay you don't need the autographs because what god did is that the reason that you know the bible talks about the fullness of time of jesus is coming is that first of all greek is going to be grammatically one of the most accurate languages that you could you could write in, right it's going to be very grammatically specific, and the Bible hangs on grammar a lot of times. So that's first of all. Second of all, they had the road system, and so you have individual manuscript families coming up. And so those individual manuscript families, which you are completely correct, are copies of copies and things like that. Um, those individual manuscript families were not controlled by a single church or a single person or an institution. And so the self-attesting authority of the scripture is such that with all of these manuscript copies, we know that the Alexandrian manuscripts match the Byzantian manuscripts, you know, with a couple of, again, textual variants that came in through copyist errors. You know, so like the, the idea that God is fumbling this process is, is, is belied by the fact that that I can't think of another process by which a perfect document could be translated in a better way, because if you only have one copy and that's the autographs, well, those could be forged. And then if you're appealing to those, then somebody could go in and change those autographs, like, you know, to, to suit their doctrinal whatever when, when they decide to do that. So it's not like there's somebody who's in charge of 
you know, keeping the treasure of the originals, it's that we have this very chaotic and very uh, organic way of knowing that the text is the same across multiple regions, multiple copyists, um, different manuscript families. I mean, and, and those are also found in, there were, a lot of them were buried and they were found in pottery that we can date because we can date the pottery. So we know how old the manuscript is. So people can't lie about that. Like if you actually, yes, I would just challenge you. Like if you really get into textual criticism, it is a beautiful story of God preserving his word miraculously through time. Um, and it, and it actually attests to that fact far more than the alternative, which is to say that the, the scripture is somehow not true because of this process. And, and I just want to say a couple of things. For one, um, we act like it's all about a book. And if, if it was really like just the presence or absence of a book, then that means someone could take problems with, you know, how, how the Bible says uh, Abraham, for example, was presented with, uh, to God. Uh, there was no book. God talked to him directly. There were angels. So then you can say, well, oh, why did God need to write it down? Why can't he send angels to every single person on earth today? Or you could take the inverse approach and say, well, you know, why did God need angels? Like, you know, he could think he was hallucinating from like some tea he drank. Why didn't God just send a completed Bible down right then and also teach him to read? So just the absence or presence of a Bible is inconsequential because you can always say, well, he could have done it different. He could have done it better. But I mean, there is a clear progression. Um, you know, sometimes he sent angels. Sometimes, you know, he, um, whatever, appeared to people in dreams. Other times, yes, there were things written down. Um, but also, keep in mind, like the the originals or the autographs, uh, nothing rises or falls with that because there's only one original autograph, you know, of each thing. That, that It's the original. But um, it's not like when we say, well, someone made one copy of the original and then someone made a copy of that and someone made a copy of that. Surely there could have been a mistake. Um, but when we have like, uh, you know, you have the autograph and then there's like hundreds of copies of the book of John. And then someone takes, uh, you, know, you know, it's like, well, how do we know that this copy of John is the same one in the autograph? And it's like, oh, we have 200 copies of this. So, for example, and then it's like, oh, OK, well, let's make a copy of this. Oh, how do we know this is the right one? Is this the only copy we have? Well, no, you could compare it to the other like 55 copies, for example. So, um, no, I, I don't see any. Um, I don't think that argument would hold a lot of water. Yeah, and I um I hate to be the one to like talk about Dr. Josh when he just enters the room, but I think this is right along um you know some of the books he was writing. And I think it I don't know, to me it just points to that it seems a lot of these things um point to a human-made book rather than a god-made book. Like I'm not saying every single change um was like intentional. But obviously, if people are copying like scribes early on, they're copying everything by hand. There's not like computers checking anything. So there's going to be mistakes just from that alone, um, like human error. Obviously, that comes in. We also see changes throughout time periods with regards to different morals. So um, there's a suggestion that the, the verse that like a man shall not lie with another man, um, that was actually changed during one of the periods where like homosexuality was like being super demonized in the U S and stuff. Okay. Um, so what's the evidence for that? Sure. I mean, cause I can, I, cause I can like, go back and I can show you the Greek from like a 2000 years ago, just about like, I can show you like Sinaiticus that reads exactly that. And so to say that that was changed in the, the 18th or 19th century would 
that would just be demonstrably false. Yeah, and further evidence for that would be, you know, because it has always been that way, they, the certain group, the LGBTPS group, um, some of the people from that community invented a new translation of the Bible called the Queen James Bible, where they take the King James because that passage has always been in there. Um, so because it was always in there, they omitted um, in their new book all the stuff that had to do um, that they perceived was anti-LGBTPS. Um, so that would be further evidence that they wouldn't have had to do that if someone else added it. They would just raise all kinds of storms calling, uh, you know, saying, look what these people did. They added this, but they didn't because it was always there. They invented a brand new book that just took out all that stuff that they uh, found offensive. Well, and, and also, I think what you're referencing, Gas, is there's a quote-unquote documentary film called 1946 about the Revised Standard Version. Yes? Do you know about this? Uh, no, I, everything I'm, I'm talking about, I guess, uh, I don't know, I guess no. Okay, so so where this argument is coming from is that, so first of all, the Revised Standard Version was always in, in the evangelical church known as the liberal Bible. Like, no evangelicals ever used the RSV. Like, it was a laughingstock. It was used by mainline liberal churches that, you know, believe things like Jesus didn't actually raise from the dead and, you know, stuff like that. They're just, you know, they're ba basically country club churches in the Northeast. Okay, so that's who used the RSV. Um, so no self-respecting evangelical would be caught dead with an RSV in the 50s or 60s. Like, it just wouldn't happen. So that's argument number one. Argument number two is that, like, so that had nothing to do with evangelical Christianity, right? That had to do with, like, blue hairs up in northeastern churches that, you know, wouldn't know Christ if he bit them. <laughs> so, um, so the other bit is, like, you know, this argument that these things were changed or messed with the people who made that 1946 documentary have been challenged by like dozens of evangelicals um, and theologians uh, to debate the issue and to debate Austin um, or however you say it. Um, and no, they, they can't be found. And the quote unquote scholars that they quoted in this, in this documentary, 1946 um, they've blocked all evangelicals from their Twitter because they don't want to debate them. Um, everyone's running and hiding. And so they made this documentary. They put out a bunch of silly information that is demonstrably false. And now they're hiding from any kind of debate or any kind of like, Hey, let's talk about this. Uh, because they can't defend their idea of arsenokoitos not being in the original text. It's just, it doesn't work. It's dumb. They know it's dumb. They got funding from, I don't even I don't even remember who it was. It was a left wing group to make this documentary, 1946. So it's none of it has any basis in reality. I hope that helps. Hey guys. Uh, hey, what's up? Yo yo. Um, can I get in the queue? Yes, go ahead. Um, speak. <laughs> speak. Um, <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen to the room. If I go on mute, it's because I'm currently working from home, so I'm getting calls and stuff like that. So, 
Um, Brother Chris, you are available for a sec? Uh, sure, Paul. Uh, mostly directed towards you. Um, uh, la, 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 Ephesians, you were talking about like... Oh, uh, crap. Yeah. What did I do now? Actually, funny um, <laughs> enough, I may agree with you. Actually, uh, <laughs> so don't don't we agree on most things? But all right, go on. Yeah, we yeah true. We actually do. I, I just said that because I didn't want you to feel like, gosh, what's what I'm going to say now? Um, you were talking about like uh, the offices, and I kind of came in late, so my apologies. Um, but you know, apostles, prophets, and so on and so forth in Ephesians. Pretty sure you're aware of that. Ephesians. Four or three, one of them. Ephesians four. Yeah. Um, could you just run like a brief exegesis on that again? Because um, I'm kind of seeing the bigger picture uh, when taking the whole epistle into account. Because, um, you know, the, most churches see that as a fivefold ministry that's kind of like current. But I'm leaning towards a negative on that one and seeing okay. that. Um, sort of ha like that was in light of the uh, doctrine that was being established in the first century. So, what's your what's your take? Um, yeah, with with uh, deference to Nate, um, you know. So we we, we would start. I mean, I don't have. I mean, I don't think we want to execute the entire passage. Maybe we can do that later on offline, but. Yeah. Um, starting in verse eight, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? This is exactly what you were talking about is that he descended to like us, right? So this is like the, the Philippians to him humbling himself to come to earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body in Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the full knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, so that we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by every wave and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, being joined and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the properly measured working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And so this is simply talking about how the uh, doctrine of the church is given as a gift by Christ, um, who came and revealed himself, um, and that... The way in which he did this is through the various um, types of teachers um, in the church. And so starting with the foundation of the apostles and the prophets um, and uh, obviously, uh, you know, fulfilling uh, evangelists and uh, teachers and, and 
what was the other pastors, pastors and teachers. Um, yeah, pastors and teachers. Right. So, right. So, so this is just simply saying, and, and, and when we look at the entire book of Ephesians, he talks about the apostles and prophets a couple of times, right? So in Galatians, in Ephesians 2.20, mm-hmm. he talks about the foundation of the apostles and prophets, right? And so they are the foundation. Paul talks about himself as a master workman, as a master architect, right? And he is laying this foundation um, of the deposit of faith left by the apostles and the New Testament prophets. I believe this is a, a reference to the New Testament prophets as well, uh, like Agabus or like the daughters of... Uh, what's yeah, his face? Yeah, I can't remember. Like yeah. yeah, something like that. Anyway, so these are New Testament prophets and prophetesses um, that are, you know, saying the words of the Lord. So this is the foundation that the church has been given. Uh, and then we carry on throughout uh, ministry um, on on earth as long as we're here by learning the doctrines that the apostles left for us as their deposit of faith. And so it is simply for the building up of the body of Christ. How do you build the body of Christ? You build it through proper teaching and doctrine. Thanks. Well said. Uh, Hoshua, what's up? <laughs> Dr. Josh, what's up? Dr. Josh, your ears must be burning. I was talking about you yesterday. <laughs> oh, is that right? Not here. I was I was at church and we were talking about uh, ancient Near East stuff, and I was like, actually, I'm friendly with a guy that could answer some questions for us if we want. So that's cool. Um, yeah, I was I, I was just gonna say I'm wondering um, if uh, the the comment earlier about. Um, use of the term or the I, I can't remember how it was but like it wasn't in the original text that's when I came in um, I'm wondering if that's referring to a Don Dershowitz work on uh, amongst one amongst other people but his I think he's the more recent one to work on it um, from Leviticus and looking at you know what he postulates as the the development in the Persian period in particular of the, um, the anti-incest laws. Uh, I, that, it sounded like that's what he was going for, but then he said 19th century. And so that, that threw me off, but, um, cause there are arguments for that, which obviously are very different from a, uh, 19th century or 20th century. Uh, development I don't know anything about at all but yeah that's all I was gonna that's that's why I came up because I was like oh I I think I that may be what he's referring to but I'm, I'm not sure it could be Joshua um, I think I was talking if I could just cl- maybe hopefully clarify here um, yeah. that yeah kind of my main point was along the lines of the um, the bore the, the Bible kind of changing its morals along the lines of um, the culture that it's in the time period that it's in. So I heard um, that there was, yeah, the verse like where it says like one man, like a man shall not lie with another man um, was an amendment made during the time where like there was a big like uh, homophobia thing going on in the United States. And so I don't know if there were, was that, um, maybe I was confusing that with something else, but I thought that was that what that was. Did that, does that ring a bell at all? No, that, and so Dershowitz, he's a Harvard professor. Um, 
made a wrote a paper i think in 2017 and he's talking specifically about this phrase uh, uncovering oh uncover nakedness yeah um and basically the argument is uh that uh, you have this like older you have this older uh you know portion of text let's call it um that's a you know a set of uh anti-incest laws right it's like don't have sex with your mother don't have sex with your sister don't have sex with your aunt don't have sex with your brother those sorts of things um and during the so so this would have been pre i would imagine probably pre-exilic he would argue um but during the persian period um you know, in the Achaemenid Empire, it was, uh, and I, like I, I don't know an awful lot about uh, this particular topic during the Achaemenid period, so forgive me. But um, his argument is that it became, you know, he's, he's arguing that it became quite taboo, uh, and that those verses sort of implicitly uh, allowed for same-sex uh, couplings. So in in the same way that if one were to say, uh, you know, don't don't have sex with your sister is sort of like you can have sex with women, just not these women. Um, so then well, if it I mean, says, oh, sorry. Okay. oh, I thought you were done. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, so I'll, I'll be oh, sorry. I'll be quick. So then when it said, like, don't have sex with you, don't have sex with your uncle or your, your brother or something, it's it's you can have sex with men, just not these men. Right. And so then. uh the text uh, was augmented in a way that, uh, you know, so when it says, and I'm not looking at it, you know, but when it says, like, do not have sex with your uncle, that is to say his wife, for she is your aunt, that that second part was appended to essentially flip the the first part uh, on its head. But that's a, you know, a redaction argument. Um, and yeah, ahead, I mean, even, but, well, yeah, I would, I would challenge that and say that doesn't, that doesn't mean what you you're positing it means, but I would say regardless of that, like that that is the good thing about the Bible. It is redundancy upon redundancy. So it seems that if there's any question about some some verse or something that's not um, very clear, it makes it very clear. So even if we take that about uncovering nakedness, which I was reading a little bit about, um, you still have things that say things like uh, "You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female." It is abomination. And not not to give a whole exposition, but I mean, then you've got Romans, you know, one twenty six. It says, you know, um, men and women like exchanged the laws of, you know, basically what was natural and did like unnatural stuff with themselves, um, like clearly talking about hooking up with each other, like men and men and women and women. Um, you know, Genesis two and twenty four, like you know, uh, well that that's a little like you know, man and woman are supposed to be to be together. So it's not saying you know, dude should not be together. It's saying man and woman are supposed to be together. So it's an inverse way of looking at it. And you've got like 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Timothy 1, um, all these things specifically uh, single out um, homosexuality. But it's in the broader context of also pointing out, to, singling out lots of other sinful behaviors from the Bible's perspective. Um, so, so there's just no way to get away, even if you say, uh, fine, Christians will give you, you know, 1 Corinthians and will give you the uncovered nakedness verse. Um, we'll, we'll concede to those just for the heck of it. Well, you've still got a whole Bible full of plenty of other things calling out uh, homosexual 
unions, um, like hooking up uh, in homosexuality. So there, there's just, from a biblical standpoint, there's just no way around it. There are too many verses that uh, would counter that. Um, yeah, so to, to be clear what I'm saying here, um, what, what you're describing as a theological argument, which is absolutely fine, right? Sure. Um, all, all I'm discussing is this particular passage and the particular argument, um, because, yeah, I'm, I'm not making the argument that from a theological standpoint, uh, like, you know, uh, the biblical texts are making, you know, some, some argument uh, about same sex couplings. I don't, I don't, I don't, that's, I, I think it's, you know, I don't think that's the case. Um, but if you're looking at this particular passage in its editorial history from a tradition historical standpoint, that's what his argument is. And I, I don't even know, I haven't talked to Don, but I, I don't even know that his, his goal was to try to make an argument for some broader, um, like some broader rationale. I don't think he's just dealing with the, the text history of the passage, but yeah. So just to be like, so that it's a hundred percent clear. I'm not bucking at all against what you're saying, you're, but you're but you're making a, a theological approach to the coming at it from a theological standpoint, which is absolutely fine. That's what I mean. That's what I think. These what these rooms are about. Uh, I just want to be clear about the distinction there. Uh, well, yeah, and I agree. And I mean, maybe it's maybe it's a maybe I'd, I'd get it like a D minus on on a test. Um, but I mean, it, it is because of the theolog theological argument that makes me think. Um, that that lends credence to the arg against the argument you're making. So it, it's kind of coming at it from a roundabout, you may say incorrect way. Um, but I, that sways my opinion. So even though I'm saying it from a theological point of view, um, I'm saying that makes me think the text means more what I'm saying, even though I get to it from the way I'm getting to it. Uh, but I actually yeah, I mean, don't, I, I don't think you and I disagree on what the text means. So the point of his argument is that if this if this is the case, right, from this this historical you know, tradition historical approach, that the text in its older form, uh, like implicitly as it stood, implicitly allowed for same sex couplings, and so the text was amended to its current canonical state in order to say, no, you can't do that. So like, I think the text as it stands right now is very clear. And I think, I mean, I think most people would agree with that, that it's saying that these same sex couplings should not like it's, it's, it's an abomination, right? That's what, that's what I think the text is saying. Um, I'm just saying that there's an, there seems to be an older layer of tradition that stands behind that, that a redactor came to or an editor came to in order to change it to just what you're saying. So I actually think um, that the final form says the same. I think we're arguing the same. Thing yeah. Here. And and then the only other thing I would say is if, if we just, you know, I mean, yeah, it seems like we're in agreement on that, but then I would go older than your olderness, <laughs> oldness, older, whatever. Um, so, you know, if you say, well, you know, it, it was kind of, um, it is its current state because they wanted to be more heavy handed on what that said from that older tradition. Well, there's a, something even older than that, which is, you know, Genesis, um, which, you know, believe it or not, I mean, you know, this, this goes back to the beginning um, in the Christian worldview. So in Genesis, 
it talks about, you know, be fr fruitful and multiply. And this is why, you know, man should be with a woman for that uh, point. So then, although it's, it's not directly addressing homosexuality, um, I think the reasoning is there and it is sound and that is older. So if the idea of God creating humans and man and woman is to go multiply and, you know, two dudes and two women um, cannot multiply, um, I think that argument, you may say it's not a very strong case. And I'd say, okay, well, but the reasoning, I believe, is sound from it. Um, would you at least agree with that? Because it's not like directly speaking against it. It's like a, a different category. Yeah. But because I, that category, the case is still made pretty firm. Yeah, I don't have like any issue at all um, with people in the ancient Near East, uh, like on the whole thinking that, um, you know, m marriage contracts were to be uh you know completed between men and women um and i don't have any have any issue i mean i certainly i think that genesis 1 what 27 is is you know this this image of god uh has to do with um uh, you know them ruling in and and multiplying uh in god's stead so like I, I like i don't have any problem with those implications necessarily and again i think i actually I actually think the fact that so many other places in the biblical text um, have these, you know, like strong statements, I think that actually lends credibility to an earlier reading being amended. Uh, and of course, that's that's coupled with the textual data itself, right? Looking at it in the Hebrew and looking at how the structure syntactically is is just weird. Um, but I actually think that it, it lends more credibility the other way, that it was intentionally uh, amended to, to bring it into alignment with that thought that you see elsewhere uh, in, in the biblical text, if that, if that made sense. I see what you're saying. And, and um, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's probably enough. Like, we, we agree on probably 70%, and then there's a little bit that we're just not going to agree on. But I thought I heard someone else uh, try to say something a minute ago. Regity. I would love to hear Joshua's definition of the word abomination without looking into the dictionary. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pulling from the Hebrew word there to eva and like what they're you know seeming to describe there from their perspective um, is something that makes something unclean. Right, not suitable for use. I mean, I, again, not looking back at Hollow to see you know, the, the various usages. That's the sort of thing that stands out. Um, so that's that's all I'm really referring to. Is so you're you know, a scholar English. in in Hebrew. Yeah. Gotcha. And 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 we know we know that the the majority isn't and, and is never going to be. So you're an authority, right? In this case, like I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of Hebrew to figure out the the difference between the English word abomination, which is a subjective feeling of disgust and loathing, which is very subjective to every experiencer of the physical realm. But if you choose the per if if as a believer you choose a perfect father figure in Jesus and you say, well, Jesus hated it, you know, because he 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 saw it or felt it as an abomination. That then I can compute it 
uh, also to, to what you guys were talking before uh to some points it's like um was jesus a historian because a historian um uh, like professional historian because like in the muhammad story that the prophet has done the same you know recited what has been taught in in households around him like it's it wasn't out of the blue like he wasn't telling the krishna story he wasn't telling the japanese samurai history he was saying things that were normal in, in the whatever village that the, the people his family lived in so i'm just wondering because i i'm it's um like i'm always wondering a role play and like where we're role playing the apostles the the whatever the names um uh the believers the disbelievers and, and what's the christian game of like why and who practices to what extent you know because as i'm saying like not everybody's going to choose to be a scholar and get through 700 pages of, of uh, tales, history. Get all that, Josh? <laughs> um, <laughs> I had a quick thing just on topic real quick with Joshua. Um, oh, well, hang is on. It? So, I, 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 well, hang, hang on. Since, since, I mean, since Raggedy talked a lot, I, I wanted to give Josh at least a, a chance to respond to what he would like to address from that. Um, yes, s sorry, uh, I'm not exactly sure what, what the question was that I'd be qualified to answer, um. Or just uh, respond to anything that stuck out, if you like. Yeah, I mean, I, I apologize if, yeah, I mean, you're, uh, you're 100% right, right? Like, if I, if I use an English word, um, like abomination, and I'm not clear that I'm, I'm using an English translation of, a particular Hebrew word, like nobody's going to pick up on that. Yeah, so that's a very fair criticism. Um, so I like I, I should I should have been clear about that. You're exactly right. Uh, and I okay. feel like, and, 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 sorry, go go. Uh, well, I was, was going to say real quick. Um, you know, if I could weigh in, like, yeah, kind of like you said, the the modern day of like you know abomination would be like repulsive, disgust, like like something abhorrent. Um, but I mean, I think biblically it would have a, a similar connotation. The only difference being it would also be associated with unclean ungodly against the will of god um and also the other stuff um, but i think that would be the the difference really in like biblical bible times is it would be uh, you know also going against the will of god and there would be a spiritual component versus today when we just say you know something's an abomination it, it may not have that religious component to it um but raggedy go, go ahead with the thought and then we'll get to guess I'd say like like if for example if if my willpower like I I'm a, a cre I'm a creator to the extent that a human being can be and can hold creative energy and then work with it to manipulate the the physical reality and otherwise so if if I for example if if my the god energy that comes through me is uh, wanting to build one reality versus someone else channeling the same creator energy to dictate another reality then it's really important what words what we put into words and take out of words because i'd say that for the most of the uh Amer north american public abomination means something stronger because you know all the pastors and the, and the whatever you guys were talking about like the catholic priests and whatever they, they will put in some sort of like specific narrative and energy into the way that uh, in, in islam it's the same there's the word tafsir which means just the interpretation and, and the like 
the it's not about the word even though if we go into linguistics versus hi hi history as a subject like then we can go into like oh abominatus latin and the, what's the equivalent what was the word in greek what was the word in, in hebrew and, and does it really matter because the jewish like human experience is such an exact um, encapsulated world that we're interacting with you know like I come from a Slavic nation that was Christianized in the ninth century. Then my neighbors are like North Koreans in Japan. Like they're they're not encapsulated or or connected directly to the 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 uh, Abrahamic experience of storytelling and passing it on through whichever form uh, uh, communally and then outwardly. Um. Yeah, I see. I see what you're saying. I, I want to get to uh, Gas had a question real fast, and then. Well, I'll finish up with Michael, who's been pretty quiet today, and then I'm going to have to run. But uh, oh, yeah, quick thing, quick, quick. quick well, I forgot uh, my thought. My train of thought went too far. I, I was trying to say that, like, if 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 a woman is competing for a man's attention, right? And I'm a, I'm a, let's say I'm a homosexual man. Then the woman is like taking the the willpower to dictate and to say. Oh, I loathe that. That's an abomination to me because I want the, the situation. I want the men in my bed creating babies. And then my creator energy is like, no, but I want to convince the man through the same methods that you do to, con to have a different situation play out. Because no. to me, I'm also God energy. And to me, it's not an abomination because to me, it doesn't cause loathing and, and disgust. It's actually really beautiful and really purifying. And it feels like heaven. Yes, what's up? Sure. Hopefully, um, Josh, you're still there. You want to answer one more question? Or are you good? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. I was just wondering, this is probably something you could talk about for a while, but you could just kind of maybe give your little excerpt if we got to go here. Um, is it is it a fair move if you're talking about Bible, like the Bible and then like the lay person goes to the Greek and reads that word to try to interpret it? Is it is it is that a fair play or is it do you think it's um, do you think the Bible, how it stands is going to be like the best interpretation relatively because the person who made that translation is like uh, supposedly an expert in this field. So that's kind of the, is it like a fair move to go like, Oh, well it says this in the Bible now, but in the Greek it says this. So, uh, so that's, that's what a I'm good question. With. Like, is that a fair play or, um, or do you think that the Bible as it stands is going to be like the most accurate representation of the Greek? Yeah. So that's sort of the, you know, that's sort of the tension here. Um, and it's, 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 it's a little different nowadays, given the, the number of resources that are available um, for people who are interested in looking at the original languages. So I'm always very careful. Like, I spent 15 years in grad school, right? And there, there just aren't many people that are fortunate enough to be able to have that opportunity to do that. Right. It just it just happened to work out in my life that way that I that I had that time. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I say that because there are, I think, a lot of scholars that would come down very hard and say, like, no, 
you know, it takes so many years to, 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 you know, master these languages, which is absolutely true. And therefore, you know, you shouldn't be dabbling in something that you can, you know, you can really mess up because there's that old adage, right. Um, that I, you know, just enough to be dangerous. And that is absolutely something that happens with the original languages. I swear I will go faster here. Sorry, everybody. Um, so I think a sort of a balance needs to be struck. And here's what I always recommend. Um, and I, I do this with Greek myself, right? Because Greek was not what I got my PhD in, but I have six years of graduate Greek, right? Like I, I've translated through all of Hebrews, like I, I, but I just haven't, it's not what I specialize in. So anytime I, anytime I come to a conclusion, when I read through a passage or something, I always do what I'm getting ready to say. One, um, I always pick up a, a commentary or two or more. Right. Just flip to that passage and just see how they translate it. See the comments that they give on it. It doesn't really matter what kind of commentary, generally speaking, if they're commenting on the like on the language itself. It's usually a pretty good indicator of the, the cruxes, the interpretive cruxes that are there. Um, so that's a that's a really good move. And then if it's something that you're going to like go public with, right, you're going to like have some skin in the game on it. Go to somebody who is an expert in the field and say, hey. Look, here's what I came up with. What do you think about it? And the reason that I say that is for you, and I'll land here, sorry, mate. Um, it's for you, obviously, to protect you so that you don't make like a silly mistake that we all make, by the way, all the time. Um, but it could be for them because believe it or not, like, you know, you, you, people can come up with things that are really interesting uh, that scholars who haven't looked at the text from that particular angle might look at that and go, that is a really interesting observation. Let me look into it. Maybe they even develop it a little bit more for you. So like, that's, that's what I would say it's good to do, but just do it responsibly. Does it, does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. It sounds like you're recommending doing more than just like looking at the word and seeing if it fits your narrative and then going with that, which is, well, probably maybe what most people do, but, but yeah, that was awesome. Thanks for answering that question. Yeah. And, and Josh, um, yeah, hopefully quickly, uh, me too, but I, I was going to ask, um, yeah, you kind of approach it from the other side because, you know, the first thing we do, and, and I think hopefully you will distinguish, um, between a word and trying to get like a whole phrase. Um, like if someone says, Hey, what's this word mean in Greek? Just go to like any linear dictionary or something like that and be like, this is what the word means. Um, so, I mean, that should be pretty like kind of ABCs or that should be pretty acceptable for most people versus if they're trying to like parse out like what an entire section of writing means um, or like an entire sentence or paragraph that would surely take more study and scholarship. Um, that being said, um, since I, I know, I mean, you're not like a fluent Greek speaker. So what um, translation tools or whatever do you use? It's like a doctor, you know, how they basically use like um, spruced up versions of WebMD to like plug in symptoms. Um, do you have something that you commonly use, like a, a spruced up or paid for version of like um, translations so to help you? Because um, like, you know, in the Bible, you know, you know, we use Strong's Concordance a lot because usually the whole phrase isn't in question. Uh, but, you know, because I mean, you know, there are lots of like top level scholars throughout history um, that have translated this Bible. So, I mean, they've pretty much got their act together at this point. Um, I mean, for like a thousand years. I mean, they've got their act together. They know what they're doing. Um so usually when people like want to dispute or have questions about the Bible, um, you know, in Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, whatever, um, it's just about like one word. Um, so that 
that seems pretty easy. Um, and then, you know, it's nice when we have the benefit of like, you know, we have a couple like uh, actual Greek speakers, they live in Greece. Um, so whenever they come on and we run by the questions, um, never has there been anything other than, yes, the way that reads in the Bible is exactly what that means. Yes. Um, so, I mean, that kind of builds confidence, which surely you would do that, you know, in your stuff, especially like you said, you're going public with. Okay. Anyways, um, so to, to reduce this, um, is it easier um, for just a lay person to, you know, look up one word and be like, yes, this word is what that means. And if you're trying to do that for like a whole sentence structure, then yes, you would need more scholarship. Um, and then what uh, fancy translation software do you use? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I think generally speaking, that's that's a fair statement, right? Um, syntax, you know, obviously adds a very difficult layer of complication, um, and I, 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 obviously, there's a bit of due caution um, that one should use. Uh, that the example that I gave for years was the word Elohim. If you look up Elohim, I'm sure it's still this way. I haven't done it in years, but if you look up Elohim in Strong's, it'll say like God, gods, angels, and because there's like one verse in Psalms, you know that that it could be rendered angels, right? But all all Strong's is doing is just looking at all the different ways that it's translated into English and listing them, right? And I mean, unless they're doing something different now, which I guess is entirely possible. Um, but I've seen people say like, oh, well, God, like this word, this Hebrew word, it can mean angels. And so then they, go, then they go back to the other 4,000 places where, where it's used, where it clearly means God, right? And they read in angels and it's like, yeah, but you can't, you can't really do that. Um, so, and obviously that's a really obvious example, but you know, th this happens quite a bit. Um, so the word rape, uh, the, the PL form of the word ana in Hebrew, that's a word that can mean rape depending on the context. And it often means rape, but it doesn't have to mean rape. And so I actually hear a lot of atheists say, um, oh, look here, you know, it's rape. And it's like, yeah, maybe not, right? Because it doesn't it doesn't have to, the context is what tells you if it's rape or not. Anyway, um, so yeah, with, with due caution, the, the uh, landing here, the program that I use, um, if I'm like in a hurry, is called BibleWorks. Um, it's a little older now. Uh, like I think a lot of people will use like Accordance or Lagos. Uh, oh, yeah. Um they're much more robust, particularly from the literature standpoint, like you can get a lot of like electronic sort resources, whereas Bible works is much more for the philologist. It's like, it's just all about looking at the text itself, not looking at like commentaries or any other text like that. Um, and I, I thought um, Strong's, I, I, I could be wrong, but I, I thought Strong's did things in like um, ascending or, or like descending order, starting like at the top, like, um, yeah, you know, like, like Elohim, for example, like, you know, if it says, um, if, if it's clearly talking about God in that context, um, then you look up that word, it'll be like, you know, God, and then it'll go gods and then angels like farther down there. But then if you're like maybe looking at Psalms and it's trying to indicate like actually angels, then it would say like angels, gods, God. I, I could be wrong, but I thought I remember like, it would do descending order based on like how that word was used, like the most appropriate one 
uh, for that. Right. Um, I'm, I'm digging deep here. Um, <laughs> but um, I appreciate that, Josh. Yeah, making yourself available for Q&A. That's, that's great. Thank you. Um, I, I mean, since Michael, you were both on stage at the same time, I'm surprised, like, you know, the, the world hasn't started ending yet. But <laughs> um, since, since I have to go soon, Michael, um, you, you haven't got to speak a whole lot today. Is there anything you'd like to, like to say before I have to run? Oh, I just wanted to give proper and appropriate deference to the expert on stage. Uh, my good friend Josh. I, I would say I would, <laughs> I would use my last thirty seconds to show for him. Check out his web, uh, his uh, YouTube uh, uh, channel, Digital Hammurabi, and then go buy his books because he's got a bunch of really good ones. That is very sweet. I think uh, if if we if we showcase anybody though, Michael, I think you'd agree it should be Megan. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, because because uh, Josh's lovely wife Megan, who is also brilliant. Uh, does a, does a little bitty podcast thing with a guy some of you may have heard of named Bart Ehrman. So go check that out. All right. Well, yeah, usually I was telling Chris, like usually like Fridays, it's just like goof off day for whatever reason, I guess everyone's feeling in the mood for the weekend. But, um, yes, yeah, today was, I, I thought it was going to go there, but yeah, today was like really, uh, it's actually really like good and insightful discussion, like pretty much the whole way through. So thanks for participating. Uh, Josh, always happy to have you on stage. Michael, good to see you. And, uh, random raggedy gas ball. Everyone have an awesome weekend and uh, do good things. Hey, real quick. Uh -huh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to thank Paul for the conversation. Yes, thank you, Paul. That was great too. Thank you, thank you, uh, Nate. And bless you, random man. Uh, let's we can talk sometime, man. I'm gonna if I'm not following you, let me follow you. Yeah, blessings. All right. Happy weekend. See you next week. Cheers, all.